from the Bet America Radio Network. This is the Who Do You Like podcast. Who do you like? With tips, angles, and information to help you win at sports betting. Now, here's your host, Scott Shapiro. Hey, sports fans. Welcome back to another edition of the Who Do You Like podcast. Last time we spoke, we were preparing for what ended up being an epic four days in sports entertainment, capped off by an incredible comeback story by one of the greatest athletes of our generation. His win was not kind to the books or many betters I know, including myself, but hats off to Tiger Woods on his master's triumph. We did get a great response on the pod for the episode previewing golf's most prestigious event with Garrett Skiba. Thank you to everyone who joined us and helped spread the word on social media. It means a lot. Starting today, my focus for the next couple of weeks will be what got me into this world, and that is horse racing and, of course, the Kentucky Derby. I'll have three consecutive podcasts over the next 11 days featuring sharp racing minds to chat about the run for the roses. I also am fortunate enough to once again be on site this year as part of the Twin Spires and Churchill Downs team. Very fortunate. Like I said, I can't wait. I'll bring in my guest Ron Flatter to get the derby chatter started, but a couple of quick housekeeping items. First, remember the great promo we have going on Bet America for new New Jersey players. Earn up to a $500 deposit on your initial deposit. Just use the promo code GET500, that's G-E-T-500, when depositing and get 100% back. So that's a $500 bonus on your initial deposit. Also, the NFL schedule came out on Wednesday night, and with that, week one lines are now out on Bet America. If you have early opinions, this is a great opportunity to get in before a line or total moves on you. And they're all minus 105, so all nickel lines thus far on the spreads for week one NFL stuff. All right, my guest this week is a man that I've been fortunate enough to get to know over the past few years. First, working alongside him at some of the big racing days in Southern California when I resided out west. And more recently, as the man behind the scenes making this relatively new podcast sound much better than I would ever be able to do. You can hear him weekdays on the Biggest Stats and Information Network, which I highly recommend, and also on the Ron Flatter Racing Pod found on vsin.com. He's the only friend I have that sat next to Holly Berry in the press box at a college football game and failed to give her the time of day. My man, Ron Flatter. What's up, Ron? Do you want to finish the rest of that story That's to, to tell why? <laughs> I think you need to maybe give a little glimpse of it. You actually told me in person, and then I heard you tell Gil Alexander uh, as I was listening to Visa one day. But sure, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, I've dog-eared that story over the years. That, uh, But the, the story was that I was sitting between two women in the press box at the California Bowl in Fresno back in the 80s. And to my left was a reporter who I knew rather well and was a bit smitten with. And to my right was Halle Berry when she was Miss Ohio USA or whatever title she was holding. She was there to be out for an introduction before the anthem or the coin toss or something. And no one knew she was going to be Halle Berry. And I think I had like one moment with her where she said, you look busy. And I said, yeah, I am, because I was a one-armed paper <laughs> hanger that day and whatever. you know. So that was that. And so I spent, yeah, I spent four hours sitting next to Halle Berry and, and paid her no never mind. That's a great story, though. You know, what could have been, but what regardless, been, a, yeah. great, a, a great story. Well, uh, I did mention the pod, Ron. Um, I think it comes out at the end of every week, maybe mm-hmm. Friday, maybe Thursday. I see it usually Friday morning. Mm-hmm. But um, when does it come out, and, and who did you have on this week? Yeah, Friday mornings, uh, it, it, although you know, we cheat and post it like Thursday night. It's sort of like you know the, the 2019 model cars come out in late 18. 
So uh, this week we had Andy Hoffman, who's not known to, I don't know of any horse player would necessarily know him, although he is one. He's a true crime writer from Kansas, and uh, we just got into a conversation at uh, at, v, uh, at Visa and at the South Point in Las Vegas, and just got into talking, talking, it was like a couple guys, he's an old journalist from a newspaper group in Kansas, and we just hit it off and we uh, had a conversation, and I think that's what separates our podcast from others. We get into storytelling. I mean, if I just went along and was doing the X's and O's of handicapping, just like everybody else... Uh, look, there are a lot of people who are doing this a lot longer than I have been, and, and they're a lot better than I am. So I think I would be swimming upstream there. But there, we don't, uh, we're not absent of that. We also had uh, Ben Glass on to talk to us uh, about Game Winner and Maximum Security. Ben, of course, the longtime trainer who is a longer-time racing manager for Gary and Mary West. And, uh, you know, we're talking about who do you like. I did propose to him what I proposed to some bookmakers here in Las Vegas. No one's bitten on this one yet, Scott. How about the Gary and Mary West prop for the Kentucky Derby? Yes, no, that they win with one of their two horses. That sounds like a good prop. I mean, you, I wish I could uh, offer. I wonder what, I guess you're looking at maybe a 10, 12 to one shot with maximum security and the second choice in game winner, you know, uh, that's a, or maybe third choice. That, that'd be an interesting prop. Maybe someone will bite. Yeah, I'm, not yet, but uh, I, I keep thinking like this is the sort of thing. There's certain bookmakers I know who are creative enough to do this. I'm just not sure they, they know if they've got the base of betters who will go ahead and, and jump on it. But we'll see. I mean, you know, we've still, we've still got a couple weeks. Makes sense. Makes sense. Well, like like myself, Ron, you're not just horse racing. You focus a lot of your time on horse racing, but also a lot on the sports side of things. Mm -hmm. And before we get into just general derby talk and, and some of this year's discussion, uh, there's a trend we were talking about uh, off air, Major League Baseball, that I thought you've been doing very well with. I kind of wanted to let the listeners know maybe to keep an eye on it moving forward. Well, what exactly was that? Yeah, the Tampa Bay Rays, they've played 19 games this season. And it's not just the fact that they have the best record in baseball, but they're scoring early and often, and by early I mean first inning. And there is a prop every day in baseball. Uh, generally, it's uh, a dime each way that you have to lay. Uh, yes, no, that somebody will score a run in the first inning of a given game. And in the case of the Rays, the answer has been yes 15 out of 19 times. Unreal. And the Rays Unreal. themselves have been responsible for 13 of those. And the reason I got caught up in this I'm a San Francisco Giants fan, which was enviable earlier this decade, but certainly is not lately. <laughs> and I have been all my life, grew up in Northern California. You know, that's you know, the connection with Fresno at a point earlier in my life. But I was growing up much north of that. And uh, so I was listening and, and watching the Giants over the weekend a couple weeks ago uh, when they were playing the Rays at uh, what is now Oracle Park. And it was like the Rays, oh, they're already up 3 nothing in the first. Oh, the Rays are up one nothing in the first. Oh, I thought, wait a minute here. So I started paying attention, went back, saw they'd already done it a couple times before they met the Giants. And I thought, well, maybe I'll hop on this. So sure enough, the first day I hop on it, nobody scored. It was one of the other four games. But I stuck with it, and I've stuck with it, and it's been very profitable for me since. I don't know how long it'll last, and you really should fade this thing a little bit when you see a couple of starting pitchers that might be uh, might not be the right time to do it. I think Ryan Stanek is going today uh, as the Rays uh, are going to be playing today. And so that, you know, he's an opener, not a starter. So that could be prone uh, to a run uh, going the other way. But that doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter which team scores it just as long as somebody does. That's that's phenomenal. Fifteen and four, you said. And and uh, are you a believer in the Rays? You mentioned Blake's uh, you mentioned 
starters you might not want to attack, and Blake Snell comes to mind. But are you a believer in this team being as good as their record suggests so far? Uh, yes, to a point. I mean, remember, they they were a contender last year as well, so I, I am. I think they've got a good lineup there. They're smart management in a, sure. in a crummy market, to be quite frank. Yeah. So, yeah, I am. I don't know that they're going to continue this run, but it's the old thing. I mean, don't bet against a streak until it starts to come and bite you. And now I'm playing with house money. So, yeah, I can afford a couple losses on this until I, I see the f- trend starting to go away. But, uh, yeah, t- to, a, to a great degree. But they're not going to be this hot this late. And I still think while the Red Sox are, are looking like the proverbial dumpster fire, I think the Yankees are yet going to be heard from. And uh, th- so that's the division will still be competitive. Yeah, I would agree with that sentiment, Ron, no doubt. Um, let's just get into some uh, general derby talk mm-hmm. now, and then we'll focus a bit more on this year's field. And before we get into the article you wrote for VSIM, which was very good and, and very informative, especially a couple weeks out, I found it to be a real good starting point for people looking to dive in. Um, my first question to you in general when it comes to the Kentucky Derby, since we've all been through these a number of times, um, some more than others, but as a general rule, are you the kind of handicapper that gets married to a derby horse during the prep season? Does it matter, depend year to year? Or are you a guy that generally waits until a few days before, maybe the week of, uh, to land on your horse or key horses? Definitely the latter because I hate playing chalk. And certainly it's been a, uh, a chalk haters series of derbies the last six years. For me, it's been difficult to try to make money because now I find myself going after moving targets playing for value i I go cash tickets but i end up maybe making 10 cents on the dollar sometimes it's been very tough for me in terms of that strategy but yeah i I tend to try to apply analytics uh to this because this also becomes scott the process of having been watching all these races through the winter and early spring we're really familiar with these horses more so than we would be if we're picking up the form after say the overnights come out or after the entries come out that you go, okay, uh, yeah, I know that, I know that, but I can argue against what that form is telling me because I saw this. So it becomes almost paralysis by analysis in some ways. But to, to the short answer to your question is, yeah, I, I tend to wait rather than fall in love with a horse. Having said that, last year, I mean, I, was, I covered most of Justify's races. Uh, this, I mean, because the winners have come from California and I moved out here, this will be my third derby season out west after living in New York for 10 years. Uh, I've become very familiar with these horses out here and certainly with the connections. So I have to be a little bit uh, circumspect because of the exposure I have to the horses in California. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to be looking and jumping in later rather than sooner. Yeah, Good. And, and you mentioned paralysis by analysis. Just a quick plug to uh, my colleague and, and fellow Bet America Radio Network podcast host, Ed DeRosa, who did that exact uh, subject with Joe Christofek, Churchill Downs and Twin Spires Joe Christofek, uh, earlier this week. And I, and I highly recommend listening to that, the How to Bet Horse Racing podcast. Um, but, yeah, I rarely land on my pick or key horse early in the, in the, in the uh, situation or early on uh, either, Ron. Maybe I'll throw a couple of very early future stabs out there. Maybe you're in the same boat. But mm-hmm. instead, I, I usually start to do more of omitting horses kind of based on a number of variables, including what I expect their price to be, um, the probable race shape, things like that, as opposed to kind of falling in love with a horse. I know Ed DeRosso, who I just mentioned, is the kind of guy that not always but really likes to – 
call a horse his derby horse early and often and kind of live and die with them emotionally as well as financially. So it's definitely, you know, some people have success with both things. But this brings me to your article that I brought up real briefly on VEASAN, uh, VEASAN.com, which discusses one of many great tools available to kind of start your handicapping 15 days at when we record this uh, from Saturday. And yes, it is conveniently available on our sister company, Brisnet's PPs, for not only the Derby, but for every race. And that's Queer and Speed Points. Um, I don't want to get too into the weeds, Ron, on how Mr. Queerin originated his system, but I do think folks will find it interesting, uh, kind of the basics about the point system. And for those of you that have Brisnet PS performances available or have looked at them a lot or even a couple times, these are the letter or letters and the number that are in parentheses right next to the horse's name. So, Ron, can you kind of give us a quick breakdown of what the letter or letters and numbers signify before we kind of relate them to past derbies and this year's derby? Yeah, it's tricky because the, the letters don't actually stand for what we commonly use as the terms. Uh, you see the E, E, P, P, or S up next to the name of the horse. And uh, what they really mean is E is for early speed. These are the, the, these are the pace setters. EP is a pace chaser. P is a mid-pack horse. And S is a closer, okay? So, you know, you may have to hit rewind a couple times to keep relearning this, but that's what it is. E is the speed horse. EP, pace chaser. P, a mid-pack horse. And the S is the closer. The number that goes with it, the 0 through 8 number, the higher the number the more likely the horse is to be on the lead, uh, say, the first turn, uh, at the clubhouse turn, uh, a quarter mile into the race. For me, this gives me a better snapshot of the potential pace for the race, particularly for younger horses that don't have a lot of races under their belts. And it's an easier way for me to map the pace scenario rather than trying to translate seeing a series of ones on the past performance line or a series of, you know, six 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 two one, uh, that kind of a thing. Because sometimes you're, you're looking at a horse that might have had an excuse in the race, and those numbers don't necessarily jump out at you uh, from the past performance. So it's really, for, if no, for no other reason to look at it, it's a pace map for me. And what I've discovered is, since we went to the points here in the Kentucky Derby and eliminated all those ringers that come in from sprints, EP7s have won four of the last five. Nyquist was an EP5. So we're talking about pace chasers. And this isn't just from the eyeballs. The analytics show that pace chasers have been winning in the points era. Yeah, and you, you spoke about the point change system. For those that are kind of maybe beginners, can you speak to that change real quick? Sure. Uh, six years ago, and this is a big reason, I think, that we've seen so many favorites win in the Derby uh, recently, Six years ago, uh, Churchill Downs adopted a series of races. I think it was 46 this year, uh, both in the U.S. as well as Europe and Japan. But let's just focus on the U.S. Uh, these races have points assigned to them. You finish first, you get a certain number of points. Second, fewer points than that, and on down to fourth. And so the 20 horses with the most points get the 20 invitations to come in to the Kentucky Derby. Well, the races that have been assigned these points are all a mile or more. It used to be you could build up graded stakes, which was the barometer for filling the derby field. And you could build up graded stakes in any kind of race. Uh, you could come into a sprint, 
a six furlong sprint that might have a big price tag on it. You come into the race and suddenly you're a sprinter that has no business being in a mile and a quarter race, but there you were. You're setting the pace for these horses that did have a business being there. So now the sprinters are out. You've got a lot of the same type horses that are coming into the derby field. And so we find as a result of that, the pace chasers are really made to be in the Kentucky Derby because of the point system. This year, uh, the EPs I was talking about make up half the field as it's currently constituted, Scott. Yeah, and, you know, as a trip handicapper primarily, I've had to really learn over the last several years with the change, Ron, as you mentioned, that uh, horses, these horses tend to generally work out perfect trips, not only in the Kentucky Derby, but also in the races before that. And it used to be kind of a decent angle. It's a great angle overall to, to kind of downgrade horses uh, that come off perfect trips in general in horse race handicapping, in my opinion at least, because it's unlikely that they're going to get them over and over again. Um, the Kentucky Derby, that has not been the case, and a lot of it is for what you said with the change in point system. These horses are not only in the good right spot, but they're avoiding traffic trouble, whereas horses from the back of the pack have to navigate right. their way through things. Absolutely, and and that's always been trouble. Although here's the tricky part of all of this, and of course, look, no system is foolproof. And, and we're, all, we're talking about a very small sample size here, admittedly. In a race that goes back to 1875, we're talking about really five years. And we, we actually throw out the first year of the point system because what fouled all that up was that Todd Pletcher put blinkers on Palace Malice. And so he became a horse that was a mid-pack horse that turned into a speed horse that was completely against character because he had the blinkers. Changed the complexion of that race. Uh, so we throw that year out and just take the last five, and that's where we really get a better roadmap of what we can expect to see in this points era. Now, does that mean we definitely will on Derby Day? Well, of course not, but at least it gives us a map to start with and, and to say, okay, this is the trail that they have trod so far. Uh, so, uh, yeah, this is – and you talk about perfect trips. I mean, the fly in the ointment this year is the Florida Derby because of the slow pace that was in it. Maximum security comes out of it. Maximum security is an EP7. So you look at that and go, okay, he's certainly a candidate. Maybe he's the horse I key. But the problem is, and this is where you have to apply other uh, analytics, the pace of the Florida Derby was so slow that if he maintained the same pace to try to be out front uh, in the Kentucky Derby, he'd be six lengths behind going into the second turn. So you got to be a little bit careful about that. Great. And again, that speaks back to just reading the PPs, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. looking at the one, one, one versus, hey, some horse might have run faster than maximum security early on, but they're sitting in third. And that's pace dynamics and why you can't be married to any one simple system. But this queer and speed point is definitely one place to get started a couple weeks out and maybe be able to eliminate a few horses that don't fit the criteria that's been successful and maybe bump up a few that you mm-hmm. might not consider to be horses that may Maybe on paper or visually you were really that high on. And I do think you really started your article great uh, on these and, you know, saying aside from being the favorites that won the Derby, what to justify always dreaming American Pharaoh and California Chrome have in common. Now, I mean, three of those horses that you could argue might have won the race regardless. But to me, always dreaming had that perfect trip mm-hmm. that day on over the odd track. And it's just interesting and, and something that I'm thinking about as I'm narrowing down horses uh, for this year's Derby. 
And let's kind of, you know, segue into this year's field, Ron. And before I do, you you did kind of spell this out. But just to be clear for those not familiar, the road to the Kentucky Derby points races and the point system that we just discussed has been concluded or has concluded. Mm -hmm. And the top 19 horses by points and the Japanese invite master fencer have spots reserved for them in the gate on May 4th. The rest of the runners, starting with Bodie Express, who's first on the bubble with 40 points, are relying on defections to get into the 2019 run for the Roses. So that's where we're at now. So we have a very good feel for what the race will be. But uh, uh, horses could, a couple horses could defect, a couple could move in, which would change the pace scenario that we speak of. Um, but anyway, let's let's get started with the likely favorite at this point, Ron. And I'm kind of a little bit surprised. I ran a poll on Bet America this week. Um, who do you like most of the pot- potential? favorites or most logical horses and this horse came out over 45 percent as the, the choice and that's omaha beach and i think part of that is the mike smith decision to go from roadster to omaha beach but part of it is that he's wowed people in these last two races at arkansas he's really shown a different dimension by being able to hold off horses after kind of being a horse that had seconditis through in the early part of his career most of it on turf now where does omaha beach stand in terms of queering points he's an e8 and he should be an immediate toss because pace setters really uh, in the points era don't figure into the picture. The only pace setter, the only early pace setter to finish in the top five of any Kentucky Derby in the six years of the points era was Dortmund in the American Pharaoh year in 2015. So that's it. That's the list. Uh, the question is, does Omaha Beach go to the lead? Now, Richard Mandela has suggested he doesn't need to. I would say the same thing about maximum security because uh, my conversation on the podcast that I have with Ben Glass, Ben Glass said that he doesn't need to. Well, all these guys say they don't need to. Somebody's going to. And Omaha (laughs) Beach is certainly a big candidate to do that. But he's another one based on pace that if he were to run the same pace, uh, maybe in certainly from the Arkansas Derby, 112 and 2, he's sitting there six lengths off the lead going into the second turn. So maybe he doesn't. But... Uh, I'm for me, he could be a very quick toss. The other thing about the Mike Smith decision, and this is where I think this comes back to like sports gambling, sharp betters versus the public. Sharp betters may not look at the Mike Smith decision as being that big a deal. Mike is only two for 24 in the Kentucky Derby. Uh, one of his wins, of course, was uh, on a real long shot, Giacomo. And then the other one was with Justify. He's been on four favorites before Justify and didn't win. So the Mike Smith decision, I don't think is as, uh, I think it can be overrated. Not saying that Mike won't get the job done. What I am saying is that horses matter a lot of the time. Uh, And uh, I'm going to maybe fade Omaha Beach uh, just because of his style. Doesn't mean he won't hit the board, and that's a whole other question. I'm just trying to pick a winner first, and then we'll fill in underneath after that. But I'm thinking Omaha Beach might not be the horse that I will keep. Well, it looks like he's going to be the favorite at this point good. for you know a number of reasons, and that's good for you. I guess the one question I would have, and this isn't directed towards you, Ron, directed towards the data, is how many of those horses that were on the lead in the Kentucky Derby, how many of them were of the high quality or how many of them 
were, you know, 40, 50, 25 to one shots. I remember point of honor, I think, mm-hmm. was the horse that always – I mean, I'm just trying to think back. Had Don't have the data in front of me. But that would be the one counter I would have is how many of the horses that have been on the lead, like we might think Omaha Beach could be, have been of the quality. Has it been favorites? Generally, I think it's been the favorites that, as we've discussed, have been sitting right off the lead. And Dortmund, the one you mentioned, was probably of the highest quality. So that's just something to think about yeah. and why, as we continue to talk about, you know, don't use one set of the data points, you know, use a number of them. But it's definitely a nice thing to find some data that supports throwing out a favorite. We'll never be, uh, guys like us will never be upset about that. <laughs> no, no, not that. So ignore all those bullet warts and ignore all those, you know, that three race winning streak. Just, you know, throw them out. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, let's look at who I think has a chance to be the second choice, the most. The, the horse with the best resume at this point because of his two-year-old campaign uh, and one of the three Bob Baffert horses that stands to uh, be to, to win the Derby this year, and that's game winner. Where, where does he sit with the uh, queer in points? Well, in terms of game winner, uh, he's, uh, he's an EP2, which tells you that, okay, EP will tell you that he will be near the lead uh, in the backstretch, but the two tells you he doesn't need the lead to get there. Tells you he might be doing some work between the beginning of the clubhouse turn and when they get to the backstretch. So EP2, that's a curious one. You don't often see that. Uh, it suggests then that he may not have to get involved in the traffic jam racing to the first turn. But I would also suggest that he's uh, going to have to be in pretty good position because you don't want to be sitting there way back. He's going to have to make up ground if he does start out a little bit slowly. So uh, the habit is that he won't need the lead, but uh, you just wonder in the cavalry charge to the first turn uh, how that's going to work out. The other question I have on game winner is whether he has peaked. Again, uh, this is a, uh, a Gary and Mary West horse, uh, so I was able to talk to Ben Glass about that, and he says no. If you look at his rag sheets, the, there's no indication of a fate whatsoever there, uh, and that his second-place finishes in the Rebel and the Santa Anita Derby were certainly uh, certainly credible, especially when you consider he was second to Omaha Beach and second to Roadster. So uh, no shame in finishing a total of, well, I mean, a collective half-length and a nose from being uh, an undefeated horse coming into the Derby. So he's going to be an interesting one. I'm going to, he's one I will certainly look at his workouts uh, a great deal before uh, making a decision on him. Yeah, I, I have someone I have uh, been fortunate enough to look at the rag sheets uh, over the last couple of days, and, and they definitely support him uh, moving forward in a very nice pattern. Uh, you could definitely make an excuse, and I thought he was probably best in the race, uh, the Santanita Derby, where Roadster beat him. And then you could also say that uh, in the nose loss to Omaha Beach, that was a whacker, could have gone either way, and that was his first start in uh, several months. So he does have to win over the track. I'm not sure if he's necessarily a horse that I trust us to win the Kentucky Derby, but two weeks out where we're sitting, he would be the horse I think is most likely to hit mm. the board and kind of build. If you're a super player in the big day de- uh, in the big race, looking for a big hit, I definitely think he has a lot of things going for him to hit the board, if not win the Kentucky Derby. Let's let's move to the other horse that we just mentioned and the other one of the other two Bob Efforts, and that's Roadster, who's shown a, a number of different dimensions, including the win in the Santa Anita Derby, where Mike Smith gave a brilliant ride to take him off of that. It wasn't a torrid pace, but it was a very contentious pace. Four horses involved, including Road uh, Game Winner, four wide. Where does he sit with the queer and speed points? Sits pretty EP six, so he's right in the wheelhouse where you would want him. Uh, as far as the recent history is concerned. 
the thing I would also add with the race at Santa Anita, where I was, uh, I was at that race, the track is deeper now. It is much softer because of what they have done to try to make it safer in light of the crisis that they've had there this winter. So uh, I look at Roadster, and I'm very high on Roadster, and I expect that he is going to be uh, on my tickets. I don't know if he'll be my key horse yet, but absolutely, he fits the pattern of the type of horse you want to take in the Kentucky Derby. Yeah, and, and uh, thinking back to the summer, uh, he was the one that Bob Baffert called his derby horse even as early as the, the Del Mar meet when Bob always has a, a slew of two-year-olds looking to be uh, future derby prospects. And that was the one he said very quickly when asked, not game winner, not others. Uh, I'm trying to think back to who were the other horses. There was a couple others, but Roadster kind of didn't really uh, – he ran third in that Del Mar Futurity at three to five, which game winner won, and then we didn't see him for a while. I think Roadster has a ton of talent. My one concern with him, and some may not agree, is I, I'm a little concerned if a mile and a quarter is his ideal distance. Uh, mm-hmm. To me, when I first kind of saw him run in, at seven furlongs and then even in the optional claiming yeah. race that he won off the bench, he just has a look to a horse that may be better at a one-turn mile, maybe a type of Met Mile type horse. Yeah. That, you know, and that's that's the one concern, and that might be more of a visual thing that's not going to show up in a lot of data points. Right. But uh, – but those horses generally are not going to win the Kentucky Derby if they don't, you know. That, so that would be my one, I, one concern. I would say on him, and I had the same feeling when I went to the Del Mar Futurity and he finished third, and a lot of talk was about game winner coming into that. Uh, the, the question is how much of the Del Mar Futurity loss was because of the throat problem for which he had surgery, and he seems to have bounced all the way back. And I think that's, that's certainly something you don't see on the PPs. Yep, yep, exactly why you got to do a a lot of digging if you want to be successful at this game, especially in a 20-horse field like the Derby. Well, let's talk about the third Bob Baffert horse real quick, Improbable, um, a horse that is 11th in points, I believe, at this point. He does have a win over the racetrack. It was on uh, the Breeders' Cup undercard in the street sense, and boy, was it an impressive Mm. one. And a horse that I did bet in the first uh, Derby Futures pool, the, actually the only Futures bet I made this year. Thought I was sitting pretty wrong going into uh, the, the early part of the campaign here and going into the Rebel, but uh, another horse that I have distance concerns about and has shown the not necessarily an affinity to go buy horses in his first two starts as a three-year-old. Where is he sitting on the queer and speed points, and what are your thoughts? He's a P5, a mid-pack horse, so he would tend to be one that you don't look at seriously to win the race. I'm with you in a lot of the regards you just mentioned. He also has a lot of excuses. I mean, you look at the Los Al Futurity, pulled three wide into the stretch. You look at uh, what happened at the Arkansas Derby. Remember, he was agitated coming into the race beforehand. Added the blinkers, and so Baffert has hinted he'll take them off. Blinkers off's a big angle for me, uh, and I love to play that. He also has Jose Ortiz off and Irad Ortiz on. The worry for me here, just looking at it, third jockey in three races always is a worry for me. I never like that. But the P5 is one that is, uh, as I'm building the foundation here, he's one I won't look long and hard at. I'll, I may, uh, he may be a toss for me on the win side. Yeah, I, I just I wish I felt more uh, more more excited about his chances going into it, considering I'm sitting on those futures wagers. But probably an underneath or does have a nice rag sheet like most mm-hmm. of the horses that we've discussed here. Before I get into kind of just outsiders, I, I want to just men- talk about uh, maximum security because he's a horse you mentioned, and you also were uh, were 
able to kind of get a little bit of the inside information on him in game winner. Where does he sit on the Quirin, and where are your thoughts on how he stands up against this field? He's he's the he sits the best on the Quirin ratings, as he is a an EP seven. That's the exact uh, that's the exact type of horse that tends to win this race. And so, uh, look, undefeated EP seven. The Florida Derby pace scenario is my biggest worry because it was so slow. Does that become an outlier? And if you look at the horses he beat in the Florida Derby, Bodie Express is sitting on the bubble right now who could get in as a maiden. Don't get me started with that whole thing. Uh, <laughs> Code of Honor, though, I think is underrated. And still, I still think you know he could be a value play in the race. But uh, EP7, you got to love that. By the way, the only other EP, uh, if you want to look at this, as far as uh, horses in the race and, and uh, ones that you look at and say, wow, there's, uh, you know, he fit the scenario. Uh, spinoff, also in the race, uh, he's, he's an EP7 uh, and a Todd Pletcher horse. I mean, you talk about a long shot. If you just merely look at the analytics on this, you'd say, okay, spinoff. Uh, I'm not so sure, though, as you dig deeper beyond just the, uh, you know, the, the, the query and uh, speed points on him that you take a look at him and be very serious about it. He is an EP7, second in the Louisiana Derby, behind By My Standards, who was, of course, a maiden winner coming into that. So uh, the Louisiana Derby and the fairgrounds are not normally, if you look historically, uh, a good proving ground for Kentucky Derby winners. But the numbers fall into place that you have to take a look at them. And the same thing with maximum security, uh, just because... Uh, you know, how do you how do you throw out a four and O horse uh, with uh, you know just by snapping your fingers? And Luis Sai is a very aggressive jockey. He could be very uh, very dangerous for other horses uh, as far as the competition is concerned in the Derby. Yeah, just to touch real quickly on both those horses, Maximum Security is a horse that I wouldn't say surprised us all, but surprised us by how easy he won that Florida Derby. But like you said, they crawled early, so it's just a very tough race to get a it gauge is. on. And he's going to, no matter what, what his PPs look like and the fact that he's moved forward, he has a very good sheet. The thing with him, he's, he, he was in for 16000 in his mm-hmm. debut at Gulfstream on December 20th. That's automatically going to turn some uh, some gamblers off to him. And, I'm, you know, it always is a concern. Why would they have entered this horse for 16000 So, you know, the jury's going to be out on him. Uh, but if the price is going to be right for how much he's done and how fast he's run – Spin off a horse, very interesting to me. Maybe the Derby won't be the race, but it seems like the talent's there. He ran a real big 102 Briz speed rating in that Louisiana Derby that came back fast that he and By My Standards ran to the wire together on. It is third off the layoff, but like you said, the Louisiana Derby has not proven to be a key race when it comes to the Kentucky Derby. But at that price, at the trip he might sit, you know, it's a definitely a horse mm-hmm. that, if nothing else, you want to start at least considering yes. for gimmick options at the very least, it, I think. I completely agree. And uh, for all the reasons you just stated, uh, and you look at even the breeding, hard spun by a gone west, out of a gone west broodmare, uh, it, things fall really well in that particular case. I'll look at his workouts, too. He had a bunch of bullet works, uh, didn't have such a big work his last time at uh, Palm Beach Downs. So how he looks on the track for Todd Pletcher I'll look at him, too. And let's, let's remember, for all the talk that Todd Pletcher doesn't do well in the Derby, uh, if it's either him or Baffert or, if, or Doug O'Neill, uh, the, if one of those three wins the race, that means he would have three Kentucky Derby wins in the, uh, in the decade of the teens. So Pletcher's right on the precipice of that. 
Yeah, I'm not really willing to make those assumptions that Todd Pletcher can't win the Derby like some. Exactly. And, I mean, I, you know, with Always Dreaming, he proved it. You know, whether that horse was the best horse in the race or just the best horse that day is a debate that I've had with some. But uh, And then real quick, Ron, you touched on Code of Honor, who's a horse I have a lot of respect for. Uh, was involved with him uh, at Saratoga in that debut win. Uh, had him as well in Fountain of Youth Day uh, at, at almost 10 to 1. Um, last race, is, you can definitely put a line through that Florida Derby mm-hmm. where he was the best of the closers. He was wide on the backstretch. And as you've already mentioned and I mentioned as well, that race was a dawdling pace. So it's absolutely impossible to have expected Code of Honor to win that race. Now, it was a little bit less than eye-popping even the way he finished that day. But third off the layoff, he was already in the derby after that Fountain of Youth win. So Shug knew that you know he didn't really have to have him cranked. Obviously, the ultimate goal is the Kentucky Derby, not the Florida Derby. So I agree with you. I have Code of Honor maybe ranked a little bit higher than others. He is going to have to run a career best, though, yes. on sheet-type numbers to get there or even to be in the picture. Mm-hmm. Any, any, you know, before before we get, conclude this, anyone else worth mentioning uh, in terms of either queer and speed points? I think you mentioned spinoff as the one that fits that, but just maybe in your own handicapping at this point that you're going to uh, have your eyes on over the next two weeks is maybe a, a price horse or maybe just a middle tier type. My crazy play is Master Fencer. Look at his two races in Japan and how they finished. This horse looks like he cannot wait to have a ninth and tenth furlong into his race. Uh, he was coming hard to finish second in the Fukuryu Stakes that got him to the Kentucky Derby. Before that, he was uh, fourth in the Hyacinth uh, to, uh, back in February. Take a look at the video of those two races. The other thing is his closing time in the last race at Nakayama, as far as his final three furlongs and his final furlong, which is another analytic I look at, very strong. Now, I want to go back and look at the times for the other races that day on that track. But I think of the closers, Code of Honor and Master Fencer may be the ones not to win the race necessarily, but to hit the board. Looking at Lee did it with a big price as an S0 uh, coming into the 2017 Kentucky Derby, and he finished second. Master Fencer does not have a career in speed rating because he's been in Japan. But if you watch his races, there's no question he would be an S0. So he is a stone-cold closer. And Stone Cold Closers can hit the board. Golden Soul has done it in the points era. Danzig Moon finished fifth in 2015. I mentioned looking at Lee. My boy Jack last year finished fifth. I know fifth doesn't get you there, but, you know, look, fifth gets you a whiff of it if you're trying to bet it. And so Master Fencer's the one that I will include on my tickets, at least in the, uh, certainly not to win it, but to be in it. And uh, so I'm not making him the toss that everyone automatically does so often. Uh, with horses, say, from Dubai or, in this case, from Japan. And you make a great point overall, too, um, in terms of horses that have proven to run second and third in this race are oftentimes these type runners like Master Fencer. And definitely, you know, over the next two weeks, I, I, you know, look for those type of horses to, you know, maybe not be a key underneath, but to include underneath. And you get a great rider for that type of horse in Julian Le Peru. He's going to have him way out of it. We know that. But that's what the horse wants to do. He'll really be able to relax the horse and hopefully find uh, the right path to get him into the number if you are someone that's going to put Master Master Fencer uh, into your exotics. Well, Ron, uh, great stuff. Uh, You will be providing – I know you'll be here. When are you coming out here? When when will you get to to Louisville? I'll be there. uh, I fly on a red eye a week from Monday out of Vegas, and so I will be into Louisville. Actually, I fly to Cincinnati 
and then uh, make the drive. I do that every year. And so I will be there early Tuesday of Derby Week and look forward to uh, to seeing all concerned. Yes, it will be great to have you here. And you'll be doing either your normal load or more uh, on VEASAN. I know you'll have the pod each week. Or will you have – will you doing some writing as well like you always do? Oh, or yeah. How will that work? Yeah, we'll do, I'll, I'll be writing every day once I'm there. Uh, maybe not the first Tuesday, but certainly Wednesday on through uh, Sunday. Uh, the podcast, we'll do a pop-up podcast uh, with our handicapping team of uh, Vinny Maliulo and Patrick McQuiggan and Dave Tooley. Uh, we'll do that probably on Wednesday of Derby Week and then the normal podcast on Friday of Derby Week. And I will mention that next Friday, uh, I mentioned, of course, Ben Glass, the uh, featured guest on this week's podcast from Team Gary and Mary West. But uh, I'm going over to Santa Anita and have an appointment with Mr. Mike Smith to talk about his oh, strategy great. and uh, why he chose Omaha Beach and take us through all of that and uh, just, you know, what it's like to be the defending derby riding winner coming back try on the uh, current derby favorites. So uh, we've got a lot going on and a lot, not a lot of time to do it in. Sounds good. And, they can, and then on Twitter, they can follow you where? At Ron Flatter. At oh. Ron Flatter. Yeah, that's that real, yeah, real tough way to remember. One. Yeah, I know. An easy one. Well, awesome. It's been good having you on, Ron. I'm, I'm extremely appreciative of all the, the help you've given me on the Who Do You Like podcast, and it was great to have you have you as, as a guest. And I uh, look forward to doing so, maybe to chat some baseball over the summer. Yeah, absolutely. Good, good. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining me. We have two awesome Kentucky Derby podcasts coming, like I said, over the next 11 days, starting with Joe Christ Effect. That'll be on Tuesday. This was recorded on Friday the 19th. And then uh, we're looking to have another real special guest the following Tuesday. Um, but uh, good luck in your endeavors this weekend. And uh, definitely follow along uh, on Ron's Twitter, on my Twitter, KentuckyDerby.com, Twinspires. Bet America. There'll be tons of great content to follow with everyone here on board. But have a great one in uh, the Derby, almost less than two weeks away. Have a good one. This has been the Who Do You Like podcast. For more information and to place your bets, go to betamerica.com. 